Welcome to the first episode of VSTM All 2018, recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian, who some have described as slow and vague, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. We are back as a pleasant surprise for the first season of Historians Podcast this year. And I think it's the very last one that we actually um, we mentioned in the awards episode number 300. As a show that we we regretted never doing. And here we are. And it's surprisingly, it's one that we all watched live when it happened in the peak of podcasting. It is. Obviously, we are pre-recording this. I'm not going to tell you when it is, but we are pre-recording this. Um, and by the end of Belgium, when we actually announced this, I'm probably going to tell this story, but I'll say it again. Back in the heady times of 2018, we were discussing whether to do this season, which... To be fair, I, I quite liked Oregon. Some people didn't. Um, we're discussing whether to do this season or Amazing Race 30. And I think it's fair to say we made the wrong choice, given this is regarded as being maybe the best mole season ever, and Amazing Race 30 is not. Amazing Race 30 isn't the best mole season ever? Well, it's not the best Amazing Race season ever. <laughs> So instead, we started with Mexico and befriended Papa Virgil da Costa. And now we're righting a wrong. Yeah, we already righted two wrongs by doing Belgium, South Africa, and Belgium, Argentina. We have, and now we are righting a third wrong and doing this one. Yeah, we only really have 17 other Vitam seasons to do, potentially. Spoilers, we are not doing every Vitam season. <laughs> I'm putting that on record now. We're not doing every Vitam season. Why not? Because some of them are terrible. <laughs> well, not terrible. Some of them are boring. Some of the boring ones you've seen, some of the boring ones I've just described to you. <laughs> but yes, we are not doing every Vidim season. We were always going to start with Georgia because Georgia has... Ron? Well, yeah, it has Ron, but also probably the most jaw-dropping mole episode I think I have ever seen. This premiere is wild. What's funny is that the unintentional, the uninten unintentional negative from this premiere is that it starts the trend of having uh, an episode with only one challenge. It does, but it works with this episode, I think. It's better that it happens at the very beginning of the season. It's kind of like uh, the Mole Australia did a similar twist like this, and actually, well, Belgium, South Africa did something somewhat similar. You kind of have a qualifying challenge where you send someone home right at the beginning before the season even truly starts i think that's the only time you can really get away with doing one challenge in an episode yeah it's not exactly an elba situation from vidim renaissance it's not a terrible challenge it's just everything surrounding the challenge is probably more important than the actual challenge itself yeah and how ambitious it was and I'm just going to put this out there. This was probably the most expensive challenge they ever had to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, w I would probably agree with that. It's fair to contextualize it, I would say. So this is obviously Art's last season. I think he probably went into this season going, this is going to be my last one. Can we make it a fun one, guys? Uh, 2017 in Oregon, very heavily themed season. This one, not so much. And genuinely, I remember watching this episode and just going, Oh my god, how the hell, A, did they pull this off, and B, more importantly, did I not spot this? 
because rewatching this episode, you go, holy shit. All the clues were there. What's funny is the day after it aired, I had to work at the at my old job at the pharmacy. And I was raving about this twist. Like, I've never seen this really get pulled off on TV before. And everyone else couldn't care less. <laughs> it's like, oh, I guess I'll just be in my corner. <laughs> well, this twist is so good, it actually made Mario Lanza, Survivor fan, watch Vidim. I don't know whether he still does, but I know for, for certain he watched Georgia purely because of this episode. Yeah, I can't. I I still can't believe they were able to pull this off. Just when you think of all the production logistics, like it, it seems so easy on screen for them to do this. Or it's like, oh, that's a cool way to dupe contestants. Okay, now on to episode two, you have to think, no, this would take a lot of work to pull off behind the scenes. A big production budget, you'd have to have five separate production crews in five separate countries. And you're not even in the country that you're going to use for the season. I would go so far as to say that this is maybe the most ambitious episode of Mole ever. Potentially the most ambitious episode of anything ever. Yeah. Other than, say, like the first season of Amazing Race. That's like the only potential contender. Yeah. It's genuinely nuts. So, we actually begin the episode without even an intro scene. It just cuts to the generic family photo we see at the end. I wonder why that is. <laughs> Literally all the clues are here and I'm I'm rewatching it just going I was rubbish at guessing that this was going to be the twist because they told us nothing. I have the mole book from this season. It's the one Vidum mole book I have. And I got it and there's absolutely no indication that they weren't in Georgia. It's just absolutely baffling that they pulled this off without me spotting it. I'm usually much more attentive. So, there is a montage of Georgian TV, including, by the look of things, Bake Off. And it's been left on in a hotel room. The first pair that we meet are Jan and Jean-Marc, who are the first to enter the hotel, followed by Stina and Emilio, Ron and Lois, Alche and Reuben, and Bella and Simona. It's very cleverly done to make it look like the same hotel, although they do all have different coloured lighting in the hallways. They enter their respective rooms with the TV on and a picture on the beds. Then the screen cuts to the mole logo and then Art speaking to them. And he says there is a loss at stake in the first challenge. Somewhere in the city is a safe that they have to find and open within two hours. The code consists of letters which form a clue as to Art's location. They can also find 2,000 euros somewhere else and two yokers in a third location. Those two locations can be found by the other pairs helping them. Anyone who doesn't find their safe in time will face a test and execution, and whoever does worst at that test will be sent home. And then someone else will be so nervous about surviving that first execution that they develop insomnia from it. Yeah, we're going to get to that next week. (laughs) Because it's a very interesting start to this season. And I'm going to do this now. We're going to have another round of our favourite game that's being brought back from Vidim... uh, in Czechia, Stump the Tarstorian. So, there are four locations in this episode that have appeared in Amazing Race. Which ones are they? Let's see, there was definitely the Red Square in Moscow was one. Yep, Tar 9, Halfway Pit Stop. Yerevan, Armenia from season 28 with the pyramid thing, that's where Simone and uh, Simone and Bella find the safe. 
the Yerevan Cascade, yep, is a route marker from Amazing Race 28. I presume that waterfront area in Azerbaijan. <laughs> the Baku Boulevard, yep, was the yeah. fit stuff of Amazing Race 20. And then... There's one more. Kiev. Oh, in Kiev in Season 10 with Sean Mark and nope. Jan, because... No? No, Kiev is not the correct answer. Oh, it had to be Almighty Kazakhstan then, for Ruben and Olche. It was where um, where Ruben and Olche found their tickets was Presidentsky Park, Season which 13. was the pit stop of Amazing Race 32. Oh, 32. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was the pit stop that you literally watched a few months ago. <laughs> well, we all know what my memory is like for recent tar seasons. If you ask me anything about 30, 31, or 32, other than, say, the Manila leg, I'm not going to have the best idea. So Jan immediately says to Jean-Marc that their plan is fuck the Yokers, fuck the money. That sounds like a sounds like a sticker above a license plate. It really does. They should have sold that after the season. <laughs> yeah. Screw the mole books. Fuck the yokers, fuck the money, and fuck taking my guns. <laughs> yeah. So Bella and Simona find the terrace in their picture and get it put on a map by the hotel receptionist. Jan and Jean-Marc are the first to find their coffee shop. They have bios for everyone else, a map, some rods, two envelopes, and a phone. Ron and Lois somehow don't spot their kit on one of the tables outside their cafe. Olche finds clues hidden on the back of two of the other contestants' bio cards. For them, they are on the back of Simona and Bella's. And then Ron and Lois ring Ruben and Olche. They think they have to find each other, and Olche tells them about the card back clue. Simona and Bella try ringing Team 2, which is Stina and Emilio, but it rings out because they haven't even reached their coffee shop yet. They also spot that they can ring Art, and Simona decides to. The maps are blown-up versions of Google Maps, and as we mentioned, they are in Yerevan, Armenia. Art says that he can't come to the phone right now, as he's busy comparing cards. Each 30 minutes, he will record a new voicemail, and the next call will cost him 500 euros from the pot. Believe it or not, Art isn't at home. (laughs) Where could he be? Believe it or not, he's not at home. Talking of believe it or not, Jean-Marc says he doesn't even own a smartphone, because of course he doesn't. Too stressful. Am I right in thinking that up until about 2014 you didn't own a smartphone? Actually, yeah. I went and owned a smartphone till 2016? Because I remember you being kind of wowed, given that smartphones are quite new technology in Canada. But I remember you being like gobsmacked that you'd actually got a smartphone. Yeah. And it wasn't just for texting and playing Snake. <laughs> I think it was 2016. It's definitely since since we became friends. So it has to be at least kind of 2013 onwards. Yeah, I may have gone it just before I went to Europe, or not too long before it. Cause, yeah, because I was still using it when I would do my Vancouver trips in 2014 and 15, so it had to be 16, yeah. Maybe I were after Vegas? Yeah, I don't think I even had it for Vegas either. So, Stina and Emilio find their phone, and they already have a message and five missed calls. Ruben rings them, and him <laughs> and Olche have already made a ring out of the iron rods, and Stina and Emilio have the information for Ruben and Olche. And now, probably the most important thing I am ever going to say on this podcast in terms of an episode, because Jean-Marc and Jan ring Ruben and Olche, they explain how the iron bars go together, Jan asks where in Kiev they are, and Ruben utters the immortal line, which 
is actually giving me goosebumps just seeing it written down. Kiev? We're not in Kiev, friend. We're in Almaty, Kazakhstan. And then they zoom out. And that's it. Yeah, then they go to the intro. <laughs> I genuinely remember watching this episode and having to pause it because I was literally open-mouthed when I saw this bit. For a good two or three minutes, I was just genuinely gobsmacked that they'd done that and that they'd pulled it off without me even twigging. Even though, as I spotted on the rewatch, Simona and Bella get a map of Yerevan. It quite visibly is Yerevan when they're at the cafe, and I still didn't kind of register it. Yeah, the, probably the Cyrillic would give it away. I assume, do they use Cyrillic in Armenia? I don't know, but it actually said Yerevan on the Google Maps blowout they had. Oh, it just said Yerevan in big capital letters. I am good, but I am not good enough to know the uh, the Armenian for Yerevan. <laughs> at least written down. So the map zooms out to explain that all five of them are in different countries to each other. Jan and Jean-Marc are in the Ukraine, Ron and Lois in Russia, Bella and Simona in Armenia, Olche and Ruben in Kazakhstan, and Stina and Emilio in Azerbaijan. And then we get the titles. There is still no group photo, as they are not all together. I like how, because of Kazakhstan's unique way of running things, a bit more totalitarian, you could say, authoritative, that the other four pairs are all in the capitals of their respective countries. But since Kazakhstan intentionally designed Astana to be an isolated capital, that Ruben and Olche have to be in Almaty instead of the capital. I mean, it makes sense because it is the largest city. Yeah. It's less about the capitals and more about the largest city, I think. Although, I mean, Ukraine, uh, you have some pretty big cities there. But you could have easily done it in Odessa or... Uh, Texas? Not Texas, Lviv. <laughs> Texas is not in the Ukraine. Save the Yokers, save the world. <laughs> so the episode title is A Different Story, and Jan is very confused that they're in different countries, none of which contain art. Lois and Ron have Jan and John Mark's instructions. John Mark solves the Iron Bark Lube by putting them on the cities where everyone is, intersecting in Tbilisi, Georgia. John Mark asks whether they should share the information, and Jan says that the less they say to the others, the better. It's funny that you mentioned that all of the countries didn't have art because up until the fall of the Soviet Union, I think art was a very regulated thing within each of these five countries. That is a very clever joke in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> so Jan is the first to get an intro. He's a presenter and producer. He's present and energetic. It's a question of paying attention and using his intuition. And he was also fourth in the 2014 edition of Dislimst Immense, losing to Art. Five of the top 13 that season are Vidim alumni, and three of them were in the top four. I knew that Jan was in the same season as Art, and I did actually have to look it up to see how well he did. And he did very well, as do quite a lot of Vidim alumni. Saying this to you earlier, Michael, but Jan looks way younger than 32. Yeah, you were gobsmacked that he is 32 when they recorded this. Yeah. Ruben, I expect it to be like 40, but... <laughs> That's actually another element I forgot to mention in the sort of preamble at the uh, at the start of the episode. It was very rare up until this point for them to record any other time than August. But we actually find out about halfway through the season that they recorded this season in May. And I have a feeling that, that was due to Art leaving and having other commitments. So they recorded this in May. It took then till the January before it started airing. 
and May is now the rough time frame of when they like to record now. Is that because the hosts like to do other projects during the summer? I think so, yeah, and also people are more likely to be free in the summer, I think, and it kind of frees them up if they're not going to Southern Hemisphere locations to to still do it when it's warm and things, because you don't really want a cold weather season of, of mole. You do get the odd one, but correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure Bindles will, I think the last proper cold weather season was Iceland and Spain, and that was only half of it. You don't really see them shivering. Yeah, that was just for the Iceland half. Yeah, and that was a backup location because it was meant to be Morocco. And that was season... 12. 12, yeah. And Jean-Marc is a comic artist, writer and publisher. He's the co-author and illustrator of Fokker and Sucker. And of course, I did resist the urge to make anything to do with Fokker and Sucker, your intro for this podcast. <laughs> I would have lost sleep over it if you didn't, if you did. However, I do have to point out that I'm pretty sure that Fokker and Sucker is the title of a mucky movie in your collection. Uh, there it is. <laughs> Something close to that, at least. A good mole is someone who's capable of being a little bit of themselves, but hidden from the world. Lois and Ron work out the order and realise that Simona and Bella have their directions. Ruben solves a rub puzzle for both him and Olche and Bella and Simona. And then we get an introduction to Bella and Simona. Simona is a journalist. She says she wants to separate the tsunami of alternative facts from the real facts by observing and laying traps for the mole. And we really are in the era of alternative facts by this point of filming. Bella is a singer in the band Tears and Marble. She doesn't feel sorry for other people easily and is quite happy, so she hopes others will like her and share information with her. And Emilio also solves the rough puzzle. Him and Stina decide to ring Art for a hint. He's on the trail. The coordinates on the city map differ from normal ones. It costs them 500 euros to call him, and the next call will cost them 1,000. Ron asks all the Russian locals, whether they're heading to Red Square, they all say yes until Lois actually asks and gets correct information. Classic Ron. And Ron is a TV presenter. His strategy is to see how people are involved in the game and beyond. If they're different outside of the challenges, they could be the mole. Spoilers for this episode, Ron's not going to get a chance to do that strategy. He gets to see how one person operates and then goes home. I watched this premiere and I keep thinking, man... Why was Ron brought back for Renaissance? Ron is inexplicably popular. There is someone who I would have much preferred them to bring back from this season, and let's be honest, we won't be talking about that until the end of the season. I don't think Ron's easily the biggest character in this season by a long shot, but Ron is kind of very well liked, I think, by the audience. Annoyingly, from what I've been told, there was nobody who was going to come back from Renaissance other than Ron, basically. And I do remember standing there at the Columbia finale, seeing Ron doing his pieces to camera interview in the crowd, and I think I sent you a text just going, why the fuck's Ron here? <laughs> why Why that guy? Yeah, why Ron? He didn't even get to do the main season. Of all the people to get interviewing people in the crowd, you don't get Ron, of all people. <laughs> and Lois is an actress and singer. She says she's fairly contradictory. She's controlling, but she can also let go if she can't get control. Bella and Simona head to Republic Square where their envelope awaits. Jean-Marc tells Olshay and Ruben the rod puzzle solution. Lois and Ron head to Red Square finally. They try and get in a theatre, but it's being cleaned. Ruben and Olshay head to a giant cathedral, which is apparently the second largest wooden structure in the world. There they find 2,000 euros in an envelope and decide to call Art straight away. He tells them to find the safe at M18 on their map, 
which was also printed on their original envelopes, and the information cost them a thousand euros. Ruben and Alcher are the only ones who actually find their envelope, right? Yes, I think they are. I think they end up spending five and a half thousand euros, and um, Ruben and Alcher are the only ones who actually bring any money in. I think it's for no, they're at negative three thousand at the end of the challenge, so I think it's five thousand euros that gets deducted. Yeah, it's. Yeah, then Ruben Olche were the only 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 twenty percent success rate for this challenge. Yeah, Lois and Ron actually find the money, but obviously they don't end up banking it. Olche is a fashion designer and TV presenter, and she plans to listen carefully and be unobtrusive, and hope people tell her information. Ruben is a musician; he's going to rule some people out, and a large part of the show will be gut feeling for him. Olche is told that it's Presidentsky Park where their box will be, and they have to get a taxi. And Jean-Marc and Jan essentially get in an unlicensed taxi, which, as we know from our Amazing Race experience, always a good idea in that area of the world. Just getting a gypsy cab. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, you don't, you don't do that. <laughs> Bella and Simona try and make a circle with the rods on their city map. They then realise the solution is on the other side. Their yokers are hidden on the side of the fountain. Stina and Emilio head to the opera house. Emilio spots two yokers hiding behind a pillar, and for some reason, shares them with Stina. Obviously, I would not have done that. Is it just me, or am I the only one who forgot that Emilio and Stina existed on this season? In this episode, yes. One of them I have a lot more love for than the other. I genuinely, as you well know, adore the bumbling older female archetype and Steena is a brilliant example of the bumbling older female archetype. She is so bumbling during parts of this season. It was brilliant. Emilio is a comedian and writer and sometimes actor. He always feels it when someone's hiding something from him. Steena is a philosopher, writer and producer. She says she's also written a book on lying. She plans to just observe eyes and ears open. Jan and Jean-Marc's taxi drives off and delivers cigarettes to a hotel. Lois spots the envelope at Lenin's grave, and it contains 2,000 euros. Ron says he would have preferred yokers. If they don't open the box, anything that they earn isn't banked. Emilio and Stina miss the envelope on the boulevard and end up ringing Arts for a 1,000 euro clue. Olshay needs the bathroom, but she needs the contents of the safe more. Jan loses his temper with the taxi driver, and they get another one. And Jean-Marc had already shown him the money. Bella finally spots their yokers on the fountain after five, six, or seven attempts, and Simona is the only person to independently spot the WID M18 clue. I'm amazed that when the first team gets the call about M18 that they didn't share that coordinate with all of the other pairs. Why do you think that was? Do you think it was a fear that the mole wasn't in their city? You mean that they didn't want to give that information away for other people who might be taking the quiz? Like, the other pairs want to put other people at risk? Yeah, part of that, but also, on top of that, the the fact that if the mole is on the phone, which you've got a one in two chance, then that information's not going to get passed on anyway, so it's a waste. Yeah, but, you still, but otherwise they're going to have a 0% chance of figuring out that coordinate, and then they're going to deduct money from the pot to get that information. I think you got to make the call. I think so too. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Yeah, I just I just can't see a reasonable scenario why you wouldn't just say, "Hey, we called, we spent a bunch of money. Please do not also call and spend a bunch bunch of money too," because then that's how you get down to negative three thousand euros by the end of the first challenge, and somehow wind up with a bigger pot than Czechia. 
it's really interesting this challenge because it's genuinely very dangerous for production to do anything like this where potentially two people could be the only ones who aren't immune and one of those could be the mole. Which is very close to happening with this challenge. We were so close we were so close to have it happening where it's like, well, somebody's gone by default. <laughs> Do you think that if the mole and their partner were the only people who weren't immune, that they would have then got a message to the mole and gone, you need to actually pass this? I think so. I don't think they would have super duper screwed over somebody like that. That would seem really unfair. Yeah, that, that's the only thing I can think of. I don't think they would have gone ahead with the the execution if if only one pair was left and the mole was in it. I think they would have found a way to sneakily extend the timer. I don't think they would have even done it if it was a pair, just one pair with neither person as the mole. I think they would have found a way to keep both of them in there. Because that 50-50 coin flip just seems... I know, I know starting with this twist, it sets off a, a trend of unfair execution odds. But I just don't see them jumping straight to it's either you or you that goes home. Everyone else has immunity for this round. As much as I do love this twist, I completely agree that it is kind of the first domino of we're going to just screw someone over every season now. Yeah, it's just now, now it's become a staple. Yeah, Columbia, you have the the stupid, stupid double execution twist as a result of the mole. Chan just had loads of non-eliminations. There's no better way to put it. Chan had like three non-eliminations, which is weird. And then Renaissance obviously had the stupid double elimination twist, and um, Czechia had the stupid train twist. Well, you could say that Renaissance had triple elimination. <laughs> In effect, it did, but officially it was only double, wasn't it? Everyone on one team goes home except the mole. <laughs> so Lois rings Emilio and Stina, and they say Art's clues are specific to the city. Lois and Ron ring Art and get the solution, and she tells Jan when he rings. Ruben and Olche are the first to find their box. They're the first to open it, using the code to Tbilisi, closely followed by Emilio and Stina, and it contains flight tickets for Tbilisi. Jan and Jean-Marc ring Art for another thousand euros. He tells them to find the safer M18, which is the same clue that Lois and Ron have already given them. Simona and Bella's safe is at the bottom of Yerevan Cascade. They're the third to open their box. And Jan and Jean-Marc and Lois and Ron all run out of time. Those four are the only ones who will be facing the first test and execution. After Jan yells at the taxi driver for doing a series of bootleg cigarette deliveries. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's one way you want to be vulnerable for elimination, it's because your taxi driver in a gypsy cab in Eastern Europe is just doing his cigarette deliveries. In the Ukraine of all places. Yeah. So Art says that being first to go is the worst thing to happen in Beast Mall. This time it's worse because you won't even get to meet the other eight people. Well, apparently being executed first here isn't the worst thing in the world because then you get to be brought back. You get to be brought back and actually be a bit of a sweetheart of a season before you go home in another stupid twist. (laughs) I think I pointed this out in Renaissance, but Ron is the only person to go home twice in stupid twists. I forgot that Renaissance also had a a double execution too. And Ron was the second person of that to go. (laughs) So, it is now time for the test. 20 questions on the identity and action of the mole who have knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Six of them have exemptions, meaning just Jan, Jean-Marc, Lois, and Ron are vulnerable at execution. Who all found Yokers again? I have it spread. I like I had it written down my notes, but I didn't say. It. I didn't 
I know Simona and Bella have a pair of yokers. Emilo and Stina. Those are the only two pairs? I think so, yeah. Ruben and Olche didn't find those, I don't think. They just went for the money, right? Because they went for the money in the box. Playing like good players. So Jean-Marc says they basically know nothing about everyone else. He had good communication from Ruben, Olche, Stina and Emilio, but not Bella and Simona, so he spreads on them. I was just thinking with Jean-Marc, when you know what happens to him, and then you see these conversations play out, especially with him saying, I really just want to do the execute. I really want to do the quiz first before you, Jan, because they each take turns, right? Yeah. So the fact that Jean-Marc was like, I really need to go first. You think, oh man, you can see, you can see the warning signs there already that he's already nervous. Like really, like really intensely focused, I guess is the best way to put it. Ron says he only has Lois as a frame of reference, but it can't be her, or can it? Jan spreads, he doesn't trust Lois, Emilio, Olche, Ron, or Jean-Marc. Lois says Ruben was slow and vague with sharing information. Emilio didn't want to say the words M18, and Stina hung up on her when she took over the phone. Ruben somehow collects the most suspicion after this challenge. He does. And interestingly, because we're doing Vidim now, I've actually managed to dig out the um, uh, the suspect list for um, for the premiere, and I do know who was number one in week one. <laughs> Ruben was not number one on the suspect list on Bother's Bar that week. Interesting. But we will discuss that after we say goodbye in a minute, because <laughs> we are going to do what did them all do again. So, because Art isn't even in the room, they have to do their own executions, they get a laptop, they get to type their own names in, and then see whether it's green or red. Jean-Marc and Yan both get a green screen before Ron is the one who gets the red. And Jean-Marc gloats over those losers in Baku, those losers who were second to complete the challenge, and you didn't. Ron is heartbroken, Lois says goodbye, and leaves him alone in the hotel. It's such a strange execution scenario because no one else is there. You're in the hotel room, and you have to type your own name into the computer. You're executing yourself. It's the suicidal execution. You gotta you gotta string up the noose yourself and kick out the chair from underneath you while someone else watches. It's such a weird episode as a whole because obviously it's overshadowed by this massive twist of them starting in five different cities. I don't think it's the best episode they've ever done. But because you're kind of blinded by the big twist of it, you go, that was an amazing episode. But actually on the surface of it, the challenge is, is alright. It's nothing really that special. It's obviously got a, a fun twist. But the episode itself is just a weird vibe because everyone's not together. Yeah, like Lois has to simultaneously celebrate su- surviving the ridiculously small odds of surviving the quiz. But then she has to be the only source of support and 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 sending Ron a proper goodbye as he exits the game. It's just, it's a very odd vibe to this episode. Yeah, I was just writing down my notes thinking, man, Lois is in one of the most awkward positions I've seen anybody in on Vidim. Because Ron has no one else to go to after being executed. It's not like, oh, remember all the great times we had, Ron? Oh, it's a shame you had to go. Goodbye, Ron. It's like, I'm only here because you just got executed. But your dreams just got crushed. So I got to pretend I'm really sad for you. <laughs> so the successful six meet Art in Tbilisi, this time as a group. He reveals that they earn 2,000 euros thanks to Ruben and Alche. However, because they spent 5,000 euros, 
they have earned a massive minus 3,000 of a possible 10,000 for the episode. He also reveals that it was Ron who was first to leave. So do, do, do they all have to give him collateral? <laughs> like, you'll get you'll get the money back into the pot, but to make sure you're good for the 3,000 euros, I have to get something of value from each of you. Basically, Art takes all of their passports and just gives them to his friend in the uh, in the gypsy cab in, in Kiev. Sell it for cigarettes, man. Yeah, he just trades them for cigarettes. As long as it's 3,000 euros worth of cigarettes, he's absolutely fine. It's like that episode of The Simpsons, the Christmas special, where uh, Marge goes on Jeopardy and she ends up with a negative $6,000 or whatever it was. And then as they're leaving the studio, Alex Trebek stops her at the door and says, aren't you forgetting something, Marge? <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? You're down $6,000. But I don't think I'd actually have to pay that. You tell me at the start of the game that you understood the rules. Get them, boys. <laughs> so, next time, Art's market stall could cost them even more from the pots. Alche lets people mess around. Yan drives heavy machinery. And there is a second traitor in Julius Caesar. And that's the end of the first episode. That's one of the shortest episode recaps ever. That's what happens when you have one challenge. The problem is, I think if we'd actually done this as live, I think we may have had more to say because we'd obviously be speculating about whether the mole would deliberately sank their team and all that sort of stuff. How do you suspect? Sadly, we know. So we're going to have to play a little bit cagey on this. I'm trying desperately not to say who I suspected in week one because I was correct, annoyingly. Because this is one of the few years on the Baltimore suspect list I didn't do too badly. I came third. But what I will say is that the twist on this is amazing, but the challenge itself is kind of, appropriately, it's a lot of jeopardy for production. There was so much that could have gone wrong in this in this challenge and in this episode for production that they were very lucky it didn't. Yeah, like they could have had just, they could have had four pairs all get saves. Well, I mean, the twist kind of does fail a bit because how they try to balance out the unfairness doesn't really it doesn't get balanced out the way they were hoping it was going to in the second episode yeah i will say pay attention to the pot for the next few episodes because it is not going anywhere near zero for a little while but yeah i'm sure the I'm curious what the contestants saw at the time thinking especially the ones who had to take that first quiz of we're taking a quiz without meeting the other only meeting one other person out of the other nine, and one of us has to be eliminated because of it. Oh, and even if I do survive, we have to work from a three thousand euro deficit. Vidum generally doesn't do early tests. They've occasionally flirted with it, like Hong Kong and Philippines. The very first challenge was do the first ten questions of the test, and you'll find out if you get a red screen now. But you don't go home if you get the red screen. The more Australia, the this- I think it was the second season, or I think it might have been the second season, where they had 16 people, and the challenge was just to memorize all of the profiles about the other players. It wasn't even a quiz about who the mole was, and whoever were the four or five lowest scores were all executed. So they did like a qualifying round, and then they did the main game with the full cast of 10 or 11 people. Here, they essentially did a qualifying round, but with the final cast, which is probably the biggest air with this twist. Yeah, if we didn't know that Ron has a chance to come back next week, I think we would be bitching a lot more about this twist because it's very unfair to Ron, even though, you know, it's Ron. He kind of brings it upon himself a lot of the time. 
Yeah, I mean, they were even arguing over directions to the safe, saying, what, didn't they say orange? No, they said red. <laughs> Ron and Lois probably should have qualified, because they at least had the instruction to go to M18. Yan and Jean-Marc didn't get it quick enough. Well, they're too busy running in a bootleg cigarette business. Yeah. So have you got anything else you want to say about the uh, the episode? No, just a really ambitious twist that may have unfortunate long-term consequences for the series. Yeah, I don't want it to feel like I'm down on this premiere, because I obviously love this season, love this premiere. It's a brilliant twist. It's just, it does have some ramifications, and the actual episode itself is slightly bogged down because of the twist, although the twist is amazing. So you've got to kind of take the twist and the episode separately, I think, here, which is kind of weird to, to have to think about. Yes, and the big difference is when you see it for the first time, you're absolutely blown away while you're watching it, that it eats up the hour a lot faster. But when it's like if you know the ending to a suspense movie or a horror film or a thriller, and and then, and then when you rewatch it, it seems like, oh, well, all these parts seem unnecessary now because I know what the big payoff is going to be, and I'm not going to be in awe of it for the next 20 or 30 minutes after I find out. I think about this twist in the same way that I think about the the ostrich maze of Belgium, South Africa. It's one of my favourite things they've ever done on any TV programme ever, but it has less of an impact when you rewatch it. Unless you're the one being pecked by the ostrich, then you'll always feel that impact. Well, yeah, and I have been pecked by an ostrich before. I don't know whether we actually discussed that, but I have. I think it does have a lot less impact as a viewer if you're rewatching this sort of a challenge, rather than something like the Drunken Museum Heist, which is great no matter how many times you've seen it. Believe me, because I've seen that challenge a lot. It's brilliant every time you see it, whereas this one is amazing the first time you see it. And there is a little bit of diminishing returns on this twist when you've seen it and the impact lessens. Yeah, I'm glad they did it as the premiere episode, though. I mean, granted, they can only pull it off in the premiere, but I mean in terms of having... A twist that overall is, on paper and in terms of facts, is an unfair twist. But if you're going to do an unfair twist, make it at the beginning and not, say, in the middle of the season or towards the end when there's much more dire consequences, at least having it at the beginning. I think it's fair to say we were going to lose Raw no matter what within the first two or three episodes. Yeah, I, I think the first few boots of this season, I'd say at least the first three are quite predictable. <laughs> They're the sort of people you'd kind of expect to go early. Yeah, and I think Ron was going to be first first boot, probably not whether this twist happens or not, so that's why it's easy to be like, well, yes, was an unfair twist? If you have a standard cast, yes, but because Ron was there, then you can get away with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't fault the ambition at all of this twist at all, all this season. I don't fault the actual impact of this twist. It's just the impact is a lot less when you're rewatching it like we are. And believe me, it still gave me goosebumps when when um Ruben said, Kiev, we're not in Kiev, friend. I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. Still. But when you know the twist is coming, you kind of see the impact on the rest of the episode and you go, ah, oh, it it's tough. It's tough to separate the episode and the twist. And it's tough to see that the twist kind of lessens the episode, but increases the impact of the actual season. You have to kind of sacrifice the premiere and 
the enjoyment of the premiere episode for the rest of the season to pay off as a result of this twist, I think. And it's an easy way to use up five years worth of locations. So people are like, oh, well, they do a season in Ukraine. It's like, well, we did do, we did use the Ukraine, friend. That's the thing. Russia was meant to be 2014, I think. Russia's the only one of those five, those five countries that I know for a fact was toyed with in a Vidim season. And then Russia started kicking off over the Crimea. And then they changed their mind at the very last minute. So I think it was 2016 that that happened. But I know Russia was in contention for one of those two years. And they were definitely going to go there. And then um, and then Russia started making a fuss. And they went, no, we're not doing a full season here anymore. 2014 it was. So that would have been Hong Kong, Philippines. They swapped out Russia for Hong Kong, Philippines, I think. Or it might have been the 2015 one, which was Sri Lanka. So, thank you for listening to our VS Mole 2018 recap. We will be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mole in Georgia. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. I can email us at contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logsperquacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Marika for the subtitles, and we will see you next week. Please stay tuned to discuss what the mole actually did. Peace out, just chill till the next flavoring. See, I have a lot to say about what the mole did this this episode because, as I alluded to in in the actual recap, I was onto Yan from week one. I didn't trust myself. That's the problem here. Yan was my number one suspect in week one, and my number one suspect for about half of the season, and he never dropped out of my top three. He's the reason why Jean Marc developed insomnia. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, he is responsible for this execution. <laughs> Because obviously Ron didn't know him, and then Jean Marc going because he he essentially mind fucked Jean Marc out of the game next week, which is hilarious. What's funny is I try Jean Marc is the only contestant who I couldn't really find on social media. Didn't you suspect Jean Marc in week one? Yes, I did. But he was paired with he was paired with the mole. He was paired with the mole week one. So at least I was on the right track. I am gonna have to bring this up again in week two. I know I am, but. He was my number one suspect. Yeah, even though looking at my suspect list that week, he was my number nine suspect. He was the only one I'd ruled out. <laughs> but it's it's very interesting doing Vidim ones now, because I can genuinely look back at my suspect list and see who I suspected each week. So my order, in case you wanted to know, was uh, Jan, Lois, Ruben, Olche, Emilio, Simona, Bella, Stina, Jean-Marc. <laughs> and obviously I got I got the maximum points that week. Because Jan was my number one. He then dropped down to third for the next couple of weeks. And then about final six, I think he he started with my number one again. And then never left it. But yeah, what did Jan do? He kept reading art. He told Jean-Marc not to share information with other teams to try and make them lose. Because obviously, if they don't qualify and don't get to the box, any money they picked up is null and void anyway. They would have been at negative 5,000 euros. If Ruben and Olche hadn't made it to the safe. He he just generally fucks around as much as he possibly could. I mean, the first words we hear out of his mouth are, fuck the yokers, fuck the money, and that's kind of his MO for the entire season. Is just, you're not getting any advantages, you're not getting any money, you've got to go through me. Yeah, Jan's going to be on quite the tear this season. Yeah, 
I will also say this now, Yan is one of my favourite moles because he is utterly troublemaking at every opportunity. He has so much fun messing with these people. And he is, I would say, the exception to the rule we talked about in, in South Africa where we said, does a disappointing mole lessen a season? I don't think it does if it's well produced like South Africa. But Yan is a great mole in a great season. Yeah, he's. I think he's the last really, really good mole we had. Just somebody who is so natural for the role. Yeah, he is an utter little shit to people in this season. And it's going to be very fun rewatching it. He's going to have even more fun because everyone just refuses to suspect him. <laughs> everyone's everyone's going to be on Ruben from day one. So Jan's like, well, if no one's ever going to suspect me except for maybe one person, I guess I'm just going to sabotage everything and just completely screw with everyone. Jan is only suspected by the end of the season by one person, and that is the person who wins. And the person who six people, I think, get executed due to thinking that guy was the mole. <laughs> I mean, the impact of that is utterly bonkers anyway. And the fact that I was on the right track from week one. I'm going to be saying this a lot. I was on the right track from week one, and I just didn't trust my gut. I could have had a full house. It's the only time I think I've ever got the mole in week one correct. Because he was such a large part of this episode. And so blatantly moling in this episode that you go, well, kind of got to put some points on Yan this week, because he was very, very moly. And usually <laughs> I'm wrong with that instinct. But he's so in-your-face moling that you kind of go, I can't possibly be him, surely. And he gets away with it. And it's something really to watch in these episodes is Yan gets away with a lot of stuff this season just because people go, it can't possibly be him. It'd be too obvious. <laughs> you got anything else you want to say? No, I don't think so. He didn't have anything to do with like picking the bootleg cigarette guy? I think he just kind of let that play into his hands. 